Hoopla doop and shloop the bloop. All right, sweet. Should be good. Sound good? Yeah, okay, so Ben does what he wants means I do what I want. No, we're done. For reals. You can talk during this if you want, though. But this is a, this is a part of it? <laughs> yes, it is. It's the opening, opening music. Do you have rights to this? How do you... It's, uh, this is actually public domain. Oh. And if... I'm not making money off this, so... This is also part of... I have different music for different uh, formats. Uh, this is ho- this is for my uh, How About That. How about that? Which is this, this is what the episode's going to be. We know what that music means. At least uh, I know what that music means. It means it's another episode of How About That. This is only the second time I've done a How About That. Different format for the show. Uh, hello, I'm Ben Schlofeld. Uh, this is Ben Does What He Wants, a podcast. Uh, and we're here for another week. And I got a friend in the room. You want to introduce yourself, Garrett? You uh, don't want to introduce yourself. Go ahead. <laughs> this is Garrett Funk. The host, right? <laughs> well, you can introduce yourself. Um so we're very lucky to have him on the show today. Talk a little bit, would you? Talk sure, to sure, sure, sure. Yeah, well, thank you uh, so much for having me, Ben. I appreciate there it. We, there we I'm go. I'm excited. Can, now we can hear you. Now we can hear you. Um, yeah, I'm excited too. It's going to be a fun old time on the Bun Bun time uh, for everybody involved. So uh, he has... I, I was debating on how to approach this because it's kind of a, a different... It's the same. It's a similar format, but I've never had this. Is, this is not a late to the party, which is generally what I do. Um, but it's kind of about. It's about you selected a number of session musicians, is what you kind of approached me with, who mm-hmm. you've been really into lately. Um, and so I'm thinking if we, if we look at a little bit of all four of these guys, uh, and then ex- expand, talk about them and what session music is a little bit, we'll we'll be able to piece together what what is at the core of this topic you brought and maybe we're, sure. we're going to unveil a mystery as we go so just to uh do you want to tell anybody tell the audience a little bit about yourself garrett a hobby mm-hmm. your favorite vacation destination <laughs> um a, you know a, a traumatic childhood experience that will help you know turn it into a whole other type of podcast in my, yeah <laughs> just just to let people connect with you who are you garrett yeah, sure. Well, uh, I'm a data scientist right now. I think the the reason that the subject for this show came up is that I was uh, really into percussion and playing drum set. I did it pretty regularly from the age of six up till uh, 18. And do you not play much drums anymore, Garrett? No, I can't have a set in my apartment right now. We were in a band back in the day. We were. And uh, he was the drummer, and I was the unfortunate singer. Uh, but it was a good time. I didn't uh, even think about that when I suggested the topic, actually. You didn't think about you that? You and I have made music together. We have made music together <laughs> in more ways than one. Um, <laughs> um, anything else? Any other like little tidbits, hoopla doops Oh, my God. I can't believe I have my ringer on. God, this just happened two weeks ago. And it's someone talking to me about the podcast. Okay, doesn't matter. Um, go on. Um. So this is a, a format of your main podcast, but you, you mentioned a couple names. So, but this oh, is all I'm under so the sorry. umbrella of yes. uh, Ben does what he wants. That's right, because that, that, the idea is that I can just do whatever the hell I want, and I don't have to answer to anybody. I can, mm-hmm. if I want to make a podcast about, you know, cheese curds, <laughs> I can do that because uh, I want to do that, and I don't. I'm not beholden mm-hmm. 
to any format structure, let's say that you have a history podcast and you want to talk about current events. Well, you know, Garrett, you just can't do that unless you can somehow tie it into a, an historical event, which I'm sure you could. Mm-hmm. But I mean, maybe you don't want to do that. Sure. Maybe you can't you can't talk about the latest episode of The Simpsons or something like that, which I'm sure someone wants to do on their history podcast. But man, that would upset all the history podcast listeners. So, um, is there anything you like to plug promote? Uh, is there a, a a, th- a thing that you're up to or a thing that someone you like is up to or a TV or heck just a TV show or, or an album or a book a comic strip how's Garfield been lately I don't know <laughs> no I'm not really I'm not making anything creative and I haven't for a while so that was uh, I was so excited when you asked me to do this oh, and well, I wanted to come up with a good topic because uh you know I used to say that you know even our band wasn't uh anything big but it was at least something that we had our name on it was fun. i haven't really done anything like that since though the web the uh, the facebook page is still up and i still get notifications yeah, that. that uh <laughs> sometimes people look at maybe toads hey guys if you're bored get on facebook and look at maybe toads facebook page give us a like <laughs> there's some videos on there still um i have much longer hair okay so first thing i want to get into um we're going to talk about I'm just going to give a little background on what a session musician is. So session musicians, for those who do not know, are musicians hired to perform in recording sessions or live performances. And I know you you know all this, Garrett, but there are some people who may not, and that's okay. Session musicians are usually not permanent members of a musical ensemble or band. They work behind the scenes and rarely achieve individual fame in their own right uh, as soloists or band leaders. Um, but they sure can. Um, so specifically, Garrett was talking about, uh, he wanted to address some session musicians that reached prominence in the 70s and 80s mostly. Like uh, the, They probably peaked in fame around those times. Uh, obviously, there have been session musicians before and after that, but let's, let's talk about these four. And they are, and they're going to be kind of our entry point to this topic. Uh, the names that he gave me were David Sanborn, correct? I really hope that these are all the people you gave. Uh, Marcus Miller. Michael McDonald and and is it Jeff Porcaro? Porcaro, Porcaro. I've heard it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's who we're going to be talking about. So we're going to, we're going to start with Porcaro, and obviously feel free at any point while I'm rambling to mm-hmm. to chime in with some thoughts if you have them. Um, so he was born in 1954 in Connecticut. Uh, his father was also a session drummer named Joe Porcaro, a very famous jazz drummer, uh, so famous that I've never heard of him. Uh, he started <laughs> playing drums when he was seven. This is going back to Jeff started playing drums when he was seven. And at 17, he got his first gig playing drums for Sonny and Cher. Um, play, so during his 20s, he would play on hundreds of albums and work with famous artists like Steely Dan and Boz Skaggs. Eventually, he'd form the band Toto with his brother and another brother, eventually, and a couple of their uh, uh, hometown childhood friends. Um, even though Toto was a popular group in its own right, he was still a heavily sought-after session drummer. He was renowned for his, and maybe you can expand on this. I'm actually hoping you can, half-time shuffle groove. Uh, He died young, uh, suffering at the age of 38 from a heart attack after spraying his yard with pesticide. He got, got like, uh, his lungs hardened or his his arteries hardened Mm -hmm. in a heart attack. 38 years old. That sucks. So we're going to listen to a couple clips of his music um, just to kind of get us into some of the um, the feeling of his, of his tunes here. So hold on a sec. Let's pull those up. Tap. Boop. Shakabadoop. Come on. There it is. I don't know if you've heard this song now. 
Alright, so that was uh, some Warren Zevon, Nighttime in the Switching Yard. So he played drums on that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard that track. I at all, have not. No. But that that's of the stuff that I've heard, that's like that's the kind of drum stuff that he was kind of doing. Like yeah. kind of a, yeah. a so what what is the halftime groove shuffle? And can you can you identify it there in, in, <laughs> in that track, Garrett? Um Oh, in that in that track specifically? Is that is that it? Or is what or is there a track specifically that has that that Well the the thing that he got famous for was the the groove in um uh, Rosanna, oh, Total yeah, I did, Four. I did read that, and that was like the um, a combination of two groups. I forget what one of them was, and it was like the Purdy Shuffle. So it was sort of a hybrid of two different. That's right. Uh, that was. I'll insert that right here. That was inserted. Man, what a cool drum sound that! Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so what's a tr- what's like? What a tr- oh, actually, let's play the other clip of his too. Um, this is this is his. There's not as much as on this, but this is going to be the segue into our next artist because there's a lot of Venn diagram mm-hmm. overlapping with uh, with mm-hmm. all of these guys. So here's some bad sneakers by Steely Dan. Oh, okay. good indication of drumming skills but oh it is, it is. Um, or is it because yeah, like, i think that's what the most of what i wanted to sort of talk about with him is that i had this sort of uh realization that you know i was told a lot from my drumming instructor and other good drummers i was like you know whose name is also jeff yeah that's true or what was he's still uh, alive right 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> Still is then. He lives in uh, San Luis Obispo. Oh, there you go. Um, I got a lot of good advice that everyone gets when they're learning how to play drums, but when you're a young kid, you want to you know, play things that make people want to dance or stuff that you think is like uh, impressive specifically to you, uh, you know, harder and harder grooves. And yeah, it's like, right. Well, you're um, also a kid. You're trying to, yeah, you yeah, are yeah. trying to prove something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And so, uh, you know, I got a lot of good advice about that. That's just hard to take when you're a young kid. And I, I remember uh, older guys would always say like um, Neil Peart and Joey mm-hmm. Jordison incredible drummers and they're good and you know all the way through they're good drummers but they're ruining a younger generation of drummers because you like emulate guys like that but you got to spend more time with the the porcaro and the john bonham and make sure you figure out how to play the basic beats really well Mm -hmm. and if you're bored of like a basic like four on the floor or uh rock beat you know if you don't want to play that you don't think it sounds cool you might not be playing it right and I think that's sort of like uh, I mean Jeff Porcaro was definitely the one of the of the names that I gave you that I was that I know most about or I have more of an opinion about yeah, that I've like dived drum, into he's more. A drummer. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I know I don't really know how to write songs or anything. And I uh, I played saxophone a little bit, but I don't really yeah, know a lot did. about like melody. <laughs> so rhythm is the only thing that I really like talk about with any uh, confidence. Sure. And so with Jeff Porcaro, that was one of the things where I was uh, I was reading about him, and I think it was. Uh, the way I initially got introduced to him was this uh, metal drummer, I think for Megadeth, <laughs> uh, was talking about like best drumming albums of all time. And a lot of them weren't metal. And um, he talked about uh, Rosanna mm-hmm. and uh, the Halftime Shuffle in there and, and Jeff Porcaro. And uh, I started, you know, I think after I had just listened to a lot of stuff that I was getting bored with, I thought I, I should start to try to listen to things that people were saying were good for just the well, yeah. rhythm aspect of it and see, like, what did I miss? And then I it sort of opened up a whole new world of me realizing that... Uh, you know, I, I tried to do things too quickly when I was younger, when I was still playing music. Yeah. So uh, what do you, what do you, as someone who has much more experience with drums than I do, um, which my extent to that goes as far as uh, I'm okay at rock band drums, or I was, mm-hmm. uh, what, do you, what, do you, what, what do you hear, like what makes that, I mean, because I, I, I listen to a lot of Radiohead, um, as listeners know, and I, I can appreciate the complexities of certain drum parts, mm-hmm. um, but maybe what I have more difficulty appreciating is the the simplicity or the, the subtle nature of certain drum parts. Like uh, there are ones that you don't notice. If you don't notice it, is it is, is it the case? Or if you don't notice it, is it doing its job? Mm-hmm. Or does the drum should the drums drums become something that highlights the song in a way you never thought could could be highlighted mm-hmm. like because in that last track so like in the, well so the first clip i played which is warren zivon's song nighttime at the switching yard i i think that the the funk drum rhythm section it's 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 not the most common thing in a warren zivon thing mm-hmm. which because picaro doesn't play he's not warren zivon's drummer he played on that song mm-hmm. um and it's a fun it's a fun beat. It's a fun rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, distinct, but also not distinct, very indistinct at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's fun and catchy. Um, but it highlights the rhythm section. The yeah, rhythm right. section is like, you hear that like, oh, this is a song that is going to focus on rhythm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like when he comes in with the lyrics, you know, listen to the rhythm of the train. Like the key himself is also, it's it's a little, it's not very melodic, Um you know, the guitar work is brank, brank, mm-hmm. you know, just, just highlighting the rhythms. Um, whereas that Steely Dan track is very melodic, yep. um, especially for a Steely Dan song, which is not always the most, that they don't have all those flourishes very often. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of harmonies, right. um, 
but not sweeping melodic line. That's not, that's not what I associate with Steely Dan. I associate mm-hmm. the sing song speak. You know, <laughs> I understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was um, gonna say after you played that, that was the the one when I was going through a lot of these guys. That was the one I couldn't really stick with as much because the Donald Fagan vocals. I yeah, just I it, can't get with. <laughs> well, we'll get to to vocals that I can't stand. <laughs> um, Do you, you know, keep forgetting how much you can't stand. <laughs> Um. So, but Steely Dan, notwithstanding, notwithstanding, um, the drumming in that song is 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 much different, and I'm sure. And I wasn't necessarily picking that to show the range of this drummer, because mm-hmm. you know, a lot of drummers can have that range. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you guys get on Wikipedia and you look at this, like like I did, have like. One third of it is, you know, his like a short snaps of his career, his early life, and his death, mm-hmm. and the two thirds of it are all of the things. And this is the case for all four of these 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 guys we're going to look at tonight. Their Wikipedia Wikipedia pages are long by virtue of how long the lists are of artists they've worked with, uh, albums they've been on, and singles they've done. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 nuts how much work they've done with other artists. And I know that's kind of what we're highlighting. Um, but before you have any other, what else about? Because do you have any more? What else, what else strikes you about this? Like, so he's in Toto. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, the uh, you were talking about the just the tracks that you played and how it was the emphasis was on rhythm. And I think mm-hmm. um, what sets them apart, even if it's a drum pattern that obviously he didn't invent, someone else has done that before, and all the all the standard rock groups yeah, someone's right. done before, and then some of them he has come up with or like changed a little bit. You add ghost notes to give it a little bit more of a feel. But the most important thing. Even though if uh, the sheet music would read like it's the same group that a lot of other people have used before, there's something that uh, I heard. um, There's a session drummer named Stanton Moore. He called it, I don't know if he invented this term, but like playing between the cracks. Uh And then uh, in country music, a lot of times they call it like in the pocket. Are you playing in the pocket? And I think the best example or the best way to explain what that is is that like when they make electronic music, mm-hmm. they'll go and they'll just program like bass, kick, or um, yeah. uh, like bass, snare, bass, snare. Yeah. You, you, you see where they appear. Yeah. And then uh, in a lot of good electronic music, they'll go back and they'll do this sort of reprocessing where they take it off by, you know, order of like yeah. partial seconds yeah. because it doesn't actually sound good what you do with the perfect math, right? That's right. Like, because they, that's what they say. And I, I probably bring up the Beatles mm-hmm. every other episode. Um, that what made Ringo identifiable is that he always feels like he's like a an eight a sixteenth behind the beat or something like that, which mm-hmm. is what or all the best drummers are either slightly ahead or mm-hmm. slightly behind, yeah, because it's what gives it an, an identifiable. Like it's like oh look at like that sounds cooler mm-hmm. or sounds more authentic than obviously if you're just keeping time rigidly, it's. Yeah, or a little bit of both, uh, or, ahead and behind for yeah, the kick and for the, the backbeat, and just doing something if that's you're that good. You uh, you communicate with your bass player mm-hmm. and and everyone who's playing an instrument and, and you're a singer too. But you, I think with the rhythm section, it's most important. Yeah, it's like finding the groove in a song, and then not only do you like you make sure you coordinate with the rest of your rhythm section to make sure you're you know feeling each other and it really sounds right. It's not you're not just a metronome. Mm-hmm. But then uh, I think with Percoro, kind of uh, Percaro, kind of making it your own. And then having your own way of playing between the cracks, where it's kind of distinct, like you, someone might even recognize it. Yeah, and that's uh, a, that, that's a rare thing. I, I yeah. assume for drummers to. You know, oh, absolutely. Yeah. When you can't tune a snare drum, you know, or you, there's no identifiable voice really with drums, um, to to hear a, per- a percussionist be like, oh gosh, that's that's a that's a lick that that person does. That's an identifiable. Like even though I've heard that with um, 
Dave Grohl has some like some triplet thing he always does mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't I don't know all the terminology when it comes to to that kind of stuff. But like oh yeah, because when he was playing for um, Queens of the Stone Age for their album Songs for the Deaf, because mm-hmm. he he liked their first album so much, like I want to play with you guys, and so he plays with them yeah. and then. People are like, oh yeah, classic Dave Grohl drumming style. <laughs> yeah. like you can just it just screams Dave Grohl. I'm like, mm-hmm. if if you're a rock critic, if you say so, I'll, I mean, I don't I don't hear it that way, but mm-hmm. people can, and and then they write about it, and then they tell other people, and then I talk about it on a podcast, which mm-hmm. just makes them seem even more right about it. <laughs> and even though who who the hell knows, you know, do you hear that? Do you, you know? Do you hear that when you listen to Picard? Like, like, oh, that's a... Yeah, absolutely. And that's with him, it's kind of a... That question's a little different because you hear him and then you hear him in a lot of other drummers. Like, I'm sure, you know, just looking this up after we sort of nailed down the topic, uh, people describe him as sort of setting the tone for pop and rock drumming in the 80s. Oh, absolutely. He was uh, a part of like what, what that sounded like. And I think mm-hmm. the best example for him, especially starting from something else that people know really well, is that he played drums on the Thriller album. And yeah. when you talk about the best session musicians, like the people that, you know, they're like a drum machine, but better. They sound like a drum machine, but there's just like just the right amount of groove. So they're, they're just consistent. They're perfect for like Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, that's like the holy grail of session musicians. Um, and why uh, he worked as and, much as he did. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't just with uh, Michael Jackson, but the Thriller album, which I think also has that sort of renown. for. Oh, it's 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 reached the point of myth, even though Michael Jackson's been canceled. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We can still appreciate the drumming on the album, um, you know. He got canceled a little bit before his death, and then they really canceled. They him really, after. It, it felt like uh, you know the case with um, Firefly or something like that. Everybody wrote a bunch of letters, <laughs> and they decided to bring back the movie, and then it got really. It's like no, it's it's not, folks. It's not happening. We're not bringing. We're not bringing back Firefly. Um, or or well, we'll see. I mean, who knows? I still hear him playing at Jewel or whatever Mariano's, and I'm walking around like, oh, there's a Michael Jackson song playing. It's oh, just, I'm sure they're gonna keep it's, playing. It's 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 hard to cancel the guy. Yeah, you know, he's in syndication. <laughs> Anywho, um, so we're gonna so let's let's move briskly on. Where's my mouse? There it is. Um, and now we're gonna listen. So this let's uh, so in that last track by the Steely Dan by Bad Sneakers. Um, and that's off of oh gosh, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the album. But that's a late '70s thing. I think it was in '77 that track came out. Uh, Michael McDonald did backing vocals in that track that we just heard by Steely Dan. That clip. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this. Is their segue into Michael McDonald. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the biggest name we're going to say, like the most famous character, character uh, musician out of the, the four that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, he's a, he was. He was a session man who, for artists and most notably for Steely Dan, uh, ended up in the Doobie Brothers singing some of the of their biggest and funniest hits, uh, <laughs> "What a Fool Believes" and like "Taking It to the Streets." A couple of those tracks. Um, he's a divi- he's a divisive figure. People love him and hate him. Uh, hate is a strong word for me. He just like I don't when I listen to his stuff, I don't think it's bad music. His voice is just very fun. I don't hate his voice. It just makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's a funny sounding voice um and like in the same way that people think tom waits sounds humorous oh, yeah, yeah. um and i've heard like it's one of those what are you talking about that's not funny mm-hmm. that's soulful and real and mm-hmm. like he's it's it's theatrical is what it is it's painting a picture with his voice you know and i'm sure some people feel that way I maybe mean, not in the exact terms as they do about michael mcdonald but 
uh, it's a voice that's like, or like Don Henley. I hate Don Henley's voice, oh, yeah. but people love, like people love him. Mm-hmm. Um, all power to him. Um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, he was born in 1952 outside St. Louis and moved to Los Angeles in 1970 to pursue music. In 1975, he became a temporary member of the Doobie Brothers after one of their singers uh, became ill temporarily. Um, and then he just became a full-blown member after the success of his songwriting became very apparent. Uh, much like Porcaro, he was still doing session work during the time, uh, this time, and working with notable artists like Carly Simon, Bonnie Raitt, Christopher Cross. He debuted his first solo album in 1982. Uh, the album was called If That's What It Takes, and won a Grammy for the song I Keep Forgetting. Uh, even during his solo years, he'd be co-writing tracks. Uh, you may have seen him, if for those who have no idea who I'm talking about. He was in an episode of 30 Rock. <laughs> Where they're trying to rate, that. What, what's that? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, it's like they have this. It's one of those classic uh, uh, musicathon things, like mm-hmm. where they get all the all these big names to sing a song. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't remember the uh, Alan Alda plays Alec Baldwin's father, and he needs mm-hmm. a kidney, and so to raise money for this kidney, he hires the, all these musicians to sing a song. Like he, you know, he needs a kidney. Get this, mm-hmm. like Sheryl Crow, um, Elvis Costello. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think um, oh god, one day. Aikens, uh, Troy Aiken, not Troy Aikman. No, no. What's his name? Clay, Aik- Clay Aikman. Was that the American, the American Idol, Idol guy. Idol guy. Yeah, he was there. Uh, and then yeah, Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald was one of them. <laughs> he needs a kidney. Was his. Uh, so let's listen to the clip of his that I have. And now this is his solo stuff. And this is the song I just mentioned. Yeah, but man, here we go. Funky. Liking his well, like I mean, laughing at his voice. That's still like a funky, really catchy song. Like that's a undeniably catchy tune. Like yeah, definitely. Um, in the hands of somebody whose voice I like more, I, mm. I, I could like honestly. It sound. It reminds me of uh, of a Stevie Wonder song that Stevie Wonder wrote. You know, <laughs> five years before mm-hmm. that or whatever. Um, but it's still like catchy music. So, um, in the realm of Michael McDonald, what stuff? What bring what brought you to Michael McDonald? Is it different than what brought you to Porcaro? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Porcaro brought me to Michael McDonald, and so uh, as you know, as I'm, I'm assuming so sorry. we can um, yeah, jump about, between different topics. Yeah, yeah talk about people. your lineage here, because like, the, the 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 people that I gave you were all kind of like tied together. That they all sort of worked together at different mm-hmm. times, and so it was sort of setting the wider. Which I think is uh, is interesting that they, that these 
disparate like they're just they came into and they came to it from all different directions they're all varying in ages and backgrounds um but they end up all working in los angeles more mm -hmm. or less creating right. this kind of sound but mm -hmm. but go go on and so this was what actually my favorite uh I think this is my favorite Porcaro groove, actually. And there's a really cool history here, which is that it's, um, you know, you can, uh, you can hear what's going on there. It's 16th note um, on the hi-hat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's, um, I think Porcaro actually did a, uh, an instructional video where he talked about it. And he talked really? about how, yeah, uh, and uh, or a lot, of, I think he mostly talks about the Toto grooves that he did. But yeah. he goes into this because this one's kind of famous. And he was saying that um, it was, it was uh, I think it was a number one. Mm -hmm. single for a little while yeah yeah billboard uh this is a beat where it's easy for everyone especially like a just starting out drummer to do um two hands for the 16 notes mm -hmm. but there's this uh accent pattern that you get if you really learn how to do it with just one hand so he plays it one-handed they really? can't see me doing this but yeah he, he, uh, he, folks he did that with one hand <laughs> on the hi-hat on the hi-hat yeah. Hi yeah yes um and so there's this way that you alternate the the way you sort of snap your wrist you do uh accented unaccented naturally you kind of do that yeah and you just get this sound that even if you try to imitate that with two hands it's not quite possible to do it and you get uh not just the accent pattern but the way it kind of is swung and it's not really a swung song it's not it swing but much, it's but it... a, the way we're talking about kind of playing between the cracks uh -huh. it's just starting to swing a little bit right, let's, let's let's listen to that again if that's all right wait you guys have no say in this i'm playing it again <laughs> <laughs> about those moments where he clearly is is like because he's left the foot off the hi-hat right yeah 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 it's like that helps give it an accent mm -hmm. as well like it makes it more dynamic right so just hit the hi-hat constantly I keep forgetting I the, the kick kind of reminds me of switching yard something we heard earlier uh -huh. oh yeah yeah Um, okay, I kind of hear that. And so like, that's just an example of the sort of technique that, you know, there's an easy way out, but if you just play what's on the page, you don't necessarily play with uh, the other musicians. You're not really contributing to the groove well, that a, much. You're a band. It's a band. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you want, excuse me, uh, a cohesive so sound. That kind of got me into McDonald. And then from there, it was just cool that as I was exploring this, mostly just this era of kind of like pop, rock, um, you hear, uh, you know, without even trying to, you're just going through an album, and then you'll you'll hear McDonald's sometimes pop up because you know he'd be on like, you know, tracks two, three, and five of this album. When you go look it up, he's not like with the band the whole time. Yeah, he'll just sit in a little bit, like uh, that Christopher Cross one. He's on mm -hmm. like three tracks, two or three tracks from that first album. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he he played some keyboard too. Yeah, in the yeah. session. Yeah, I believe I believe he did. He did. I believe he did. Um, yeah, and the 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 dude's got a legacy. Um, I mean, what a fool believes is honestly the funniest one of the funniest songs. I'm not gonna play it because I'm sure people have heard it. Uh, actually, I don't know about that. The, the wise man has the power, though. Look <laughs> that up, and you, that's what it should be called. Um, but he, you don't find him as as as. Sorry, I mean to, to glom onto this, but uh, his voice does not. Um, 
I, I, give, I, give I understand it's really distinct. My my wife is uh, she's over it. She's overhearing it in the home, especially that particular song. I keep oh, yeah? forgetting because she thinks that that particular song he just sounds really funny on it. I keep forgetting. Tell me how you <laughs> Yeah, it's um, but if if for nothing else, it's memorable because of that. And mm-hmm. you know, if some people, if one percent out of uh, I know, I would say like let's say fifteen percent out of a hundred mm-hmm. think it's funny, and the rest are like, hey, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I dig that. Then uh, he's he's, he's one. Okay. Well, with McDonald too, I was going to say the the thing, the way that I sort of used him was that uh, because he was both a session musician, but mm-hmm. he also was uh, writing a lot, and he obviously knew the good talent in the area. I used him to find other albums where I knew sure. they would have other good personnel. Because well, oh, he's, he, the... he's all over the place too. Like mm-hmm. I, I, it's uh, I would honestly for all these guys, if it wasn't such a, a hassle to read all of the famous people like mm-hmm. i kind of pull out some of the most famous or at least the most iconic moments of their career mm-hmm. um, which is not doing any of them justice like say what you will about michael mcdonald he has had a, a very long illustrious career in music um and i mean if he composed that song like he knows how to compose mm-hmm. um and he's composed tons he's composed tons of stuff um and i think he did a he his last his last number one song was off this billy crystal movie <laughs> Uh, in 1986, oh god, what was it called? Sat- they play- he- Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. They played Chicago Cops, and it- it's yeah, it was it was his last foray into the Billboard Top 100. Kind of off topic, just uh, I was going th- still on um, looking for different se- uh, session musicians. I was listening to a lot of Leland Sklar, who is a, a bass mm-hmm. player. He did a lot with Dolly Parton. Yeah, so you said Dolly, Dolly, people. Dolly was an yeah. album that that was worth checking out uh yeah depending on uh, what you like about dolly parton but um just going through her uh discography i, I found out that she was in this movie with a, a musical comedy with sylvester stallone where he sings yeah called rhinestone well, oh yes yeah, yeah rhinestone yeah uh so i assumed you already knew about it but i've heard of me <laughs> i have never seen it um i think it's one of those i'll get around to it eventually kind of kind of things like it's always been in a novel it mm-hmm. sounds like a novelty yeah, total yeah. novelty but like sylvester stallone had he like like he had a musical thing for a little mm-hmm. while. Like he, he didn't he call himself like Sly something. I oh, I don't know. I can't, not Sly and the Family Stone. That would yeah. That was <laughs> just I don't want to confuse anybody listening. Like is uh, Sylvester Stallone the lead singer of Sly and the Family Stone? Because that would That's correct. That would make total sense. <laughs> I mean, only based on the the name. Um, the soundtrack is on uh, Spotify. We'll if check you it out. Guys. Just hear it. It's uh, uh, he sounds fine. I don't know. So you guys, this is your plug. Everybody on Spotify, check out Rhinestone. Rhinestone. <laughs> Get on that, guys. Maybe we'll play a little. I'll maybe I'll toss in a, a Rhinestone song. Uh, well, like right here, maybe, yeah. maybe. Frankenstein 
Frankensteiner. Or maybe I didn't. Who knows, guys? <laughs> You'll get to the Porcaro <laughs> stuff, but first, yeah, check yeah. out Ryan's stuff. Um, great, great, great. Uh, let's let's move on. We have plenty more to talk about. So, um, so that was that. I keep forgetting clip. So now that this the, the Marcus Miller is our next artist that you mm-hmm. brought up. He was born in 1959 in Brooklyn to a very musical uh, home, including Wynton Kelly, who is, again, another very famous jazz musician. So famous, I didn't know about him either. Mm-hmm. Um, trained classically in clarinet, uh, Marcus was. He could, he could also play keyboards, saxophone, and guitar. After being discovered in 1975, he worked primarily as a session man for the next 15 years, working with artists like Luther Vandross, Billy Idol, Aretha Franklin, uh, and... David Sanborn, who we'll talk about in a little bit. He was also one of the band members for Saturday Night Live. He was one of the, the band members. And it's actually, uh, oh, wait, we'll talk about Sanborn in a sec, um, for the 1989 season. He formed his own band and continues to play to this day, also writing film scores for a number of films, including House Party and House Party 2, The Great White Hype, Ladies Man, Head of State. So very like African-American-centric films he's been doing. Mm-hmm. Like He does the scores for those. Um, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Like he's written a ton of movies, uh, mm-hmm. film. Uh, wow, films for movies, uh, music for film. Uh, so let's check out a couple of his clips. He has clips. Uh, here we go. This is the Power of Love by Luther Vandross. This is a lot later than most of the other stuff we listened to. This came out in I think '89. I think, and uh, so it's it has the the smooth jazz. Uh, adult contemporary sound is really heavy in this, mm-hmm. but let's just give it a listen. It's a good transition to the Sanborn too. I think. Yeah, because I think I think this is uh, indicative of something. So here we go. <laughs> non-threatening but like kind of a kind of a fun little uh, more of electronic mm-hmm. groove going on yeah, there so was marcus miller just producing this one yeah he produced it okay I, I, was he playing the bass I, I think he was also playing the bass okay. in the song too but he did he like yeah that that's the extent of it he was a per, he was a contributing musician to that mm-hmm. that and he co-wrote it with or with vandros mm-hmm. um and that's luther vandros I, I kind of skimmed over his name <laughs> earlier he's also a, a you probably heard of luther vandros um but he worked a lot he wrote mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff for him mm-hmm. um Let's go back to my page here. Um, but what, like, w- so that's kind of like I, what I listened to with David Sanborn did this too. We'll get to him mm-hmm. in a sec. But a lot of these artists, as they get older, as they got older, I feel like it started to sound more and more like the the finding moments of of adult contemporary, like the the uh, Kenny G influenced, um, easy listening kind of music that. Uh, some of these artists can't escape that mm-hmm. connotation. Um, 
But like, how does does that does what I? Cause the thing is, I'm kind of approaching you, asking mm-hmm. you, like, does that fit into the sound that you're talking about, or is that an outlier mm-hmm. um, for this whole thing? It just happens to have one of the guys that you talked about. Uh, no, I think. Uh, I, have right. another, I have another clip also, mm-hmm. but like, okay. Uh, I think as you go forward in time from the stuff that I was talking about, like music and, and a, a real music, uh, a contemporary music historian should, uh, you know, check me on this. If you <laughs> hey, we're just dudes. We're just dudes bed. drinking beer, talking about what we like. It, <laughs> We are not experts on this, so uh, I think as like the wider modern music in general started to drift towards stuff where people were happy to just hear programmed drums and programmed everything, the people who were the big session musicians were going to be finding work doing smooth jazz because and in, in contemporary instrumental stuff like that because that was one of the last places where people were still maybe hiring session musicians. Yeah, yeah, that makes uh, sense to me, but I don't. Uh, I'm not sure if that's necessarily true. Uh, but sort of following these people forward in time got me into this stuff and i think uh yeah with smooth jazz it's like i think uh, among a lot of like wider jazz people they kind of clown on the smooth jazz stuff because it's like you know it's the elevator music it's yeah, uh, yeah. boring but uh yeah this was a great period in the 80s there was just like so many of these albums like uh sam Bourne and um bob james was one of the other examples yeah, that's a name i name i saw a lot of keyboardists who are also like soundtrack uh writers oh, I'd, like Marcus I, I'd believe it um maybe coming out of the maybe more the heydays of session music but focusing just on the instrumental stuff because well, uh, yeah we're talking about like so there's that there's um i feel like in the 80s late, like the late there was still a big focus on on bands but there was also there's well there's always been a lot of uh singer songwriters who need people to play play instruments for them mm-hmm. like if if not only in the recording studio but on tour mm-hmm. um and that's how a lot of these people cut their teeth and get their their names out there um because carly simon doesn't play all of the instruments she's a she's a songwriter mm-hmm. she's a singer um but she all of us can benefit from some collaboration even though she's the primary composer for a lot of her stuff um being like michael mcdonald co-wrote something with carly simon it was a big song i can't remember now um and I guess what I think of when I think of like the late '80s into the '90s, I think of in pop music the rise of bands again, mm-hmm. who write their own stuff, don't require session men because they're mm-hmm. playing out of their garages in Seattle. Right, um, a group of friends, yeah, with uh, writing writing music together. Yeah, and so you rely you rely less on these 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 figures who are jacks of all trades. Um, not to say they, they, they obviously they, they still existed. People like that's a, that's a, definitely a thing. But I guess I don't hear as much about, and maybe because the myth of them is has lessened. Like I think there's there's this there's always myths about session guys who like they just didn't get the credit. You know, mm-hmm. do you know this guy got paid like twelve dollars to write the <laughs> lick for James Bond's theme? Mm-hmm. Man, that dude could have been a millionaire. Yeah, just, I heard just about a that a lot. Man. It's like uh, Motown musicians. Yeah, that, absolutely. Especially. For me, it was I knew a lot of them actually made uh, a decent amount of money doing it. But like you know, because I work was young, um, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do when I grew up, and I played drum set. So I thought, oh, what do drum set players do as a job? And it's like, oh, there's like you know, there's like ten of them in Los Angeles, and they make a lot of money. But there's know, only ten of them. Like because you know, just like I mean, that's hyperbole. But we were talking about you go on these people's Wikipedia pages, and then they're oh, all yeah, stuff. They it's because there actually aren't that many that are yeah. like that good. You know, if we can get Porcaro, we're getting him. If we yep. can get, uh, if we can't get whoever. him, then we'll get the the Porcaro light. You mm-hmm. know, and if we can't get him, then oh god, we'll wait. <laughs> you know, we're not. We'll record this <laughs> yeah, we'll in two this weeks. Later. Yeah, um, which is makes makes the whole thing sound like an un, like a uh, difficult to approach 
yeah. lifestyle because you have to be damn good to get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. I mean, but like most art, like I, that's the, the same thing for voiceover. Like it, it's a handful of people do all the voiceover, like mm-hmm. cartoon voiceover out there. Um, well, they used to. Mm-hmm. I mean, now the internet makes it impossible for that. Like now you can just record it. Some some D off in Hoboken can do voiceover <laughs> for some AO in uh, Santa mm-hmm. Fe. <laughs> I'm not sure what an AO is either, um, or a D. Anyway, um, but I guess I, I, I suppose I'm talking about is it is it something that still exists and it's something, but we're not talking about it mm-hmm. as much. Um, or were we ever talking about it? Do we ever <laughs> talk about this? Do people talk about this? Um, I haven't thought about it much since I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 and then you know here and there, and then recently. But uh, I was excited to do the subject because I think you know, a lot of people don't really think about it very much. And then I had a couple really sad moments going through all this stuff because, I, like you said, Porcaro died when he was thirty-eight, uh, pretty young still. And then uh, everyone was kind of mad in Toto at the time because the media kind of covered it like it was a cocaine thing because those guys were they partied a little bit. Yeah, well, and I mean, uh, they were saying like it was, was also the eighties. Everybody did coke, yeah. right? <laughs> well, they were saying he was the guy who like, he messed around a little bit, but he was the guy who was saying like maybe you guys should stop doing coke and <laughs> like call it a night for tonight like, he was the guy who was saying that and oh. then they kind of made it seem like he was that was one of the reasons why his heart he had a heart failure issue uh and it was also like you it know was it you, just pesticides um <laughs> I, I don't know if they're really sure that the pesticides had anything to do that's, with it, but that's it just, like that's the wikipedia it yeah. says like he was hospitalized mm-hmm. and died of uh of cardiac arrest mm-hmm. after he had sprayed his lung with pesticides mm-hmm. could have yeah. been contributing factor but like I mean, I don't think that just unless you're like spraying it in your face, I don't think that just happens. <laughs> no, I hope not. Um, uh, but I had I had this experience of going through all this stuff, and then like you know, before I had really had time to appreciate it, I found out that he was already dead, which was really sad. And then even more on the subject of uh, people not really talking about these the behind the scenes musicians, there was this guy who played with uh, Marcus Miller on the first few Luther Vandross albums. His mm-hmm. name is Yogi Horton, and he's considered uh, I did one see of that the name. pioneers. Yeah, I saw that name because it. Uh, I also saw Victor Wooten, and both those names looked similar while I was skimming the article. Oh, Horton and Wooten, for sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, he definitely has. I think he's credited with making one of the first drum instructional videos. Really? Uh, yeah, he's been around for a while, and uh, pioneering a lot of like R and B uh, percussion kind mm-hmm. of grooves. And he uh, he took his own life, and I think Ooh. there was some rumors of like part of what made him upset was that people didn't know what he did like he didn't think that he was appreciated as a drummer oh gosh where's the where's the tv movie for that like that sounds like a sorry that is that's tragic and i shouldn't automatically think <laughs> why isn't somebody making money off of that mm-hmm. um but i'm an artist so like i'm like someone needs to turn that in there's a an award for somebody right there a down and out musician who's like who works with the most famous people but doesn't get any credit it's like amadeus it's like modern amadeus <laughs> yeah uh, right Except uh, instead of Amadeus, where you know he kills Mozart. Spoiler alert! Sorry, folks. He kills himself because <laughs> he's a better person. <laughs> or, or, I don't. I don't know. Uh, moving on. Um, so, that, so I'm going to play another track that um, it's a collab between Marcus Miller and David Sanborn, who is the next person we're going to talk about. Uh, and this is this is a bit of a departure from the the Luther Vandross song we just heard. I think this song is uh pretty cool sounding it's kind of it's weird this one came out in 82 i believe this one came out in 82 81 so here we go (laughs) 
So I think that's it's weird and kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Kind of uh, like a, a slushier, chubbier sounding talking heads kind of uh, <laughs> modulated sound. Um, so whose album is this? That that was, it's called Voyeur. Mm-hmm. Um, that's both of them. That's It's uh, Marcus Miller and David Sanborn. That's like a collab between the two. Oh, the album, it's, the whole yeah. album is a collab. Yeah, that's what it's, cool. it's, cool. it's those, they're the two headliners on top of the album. Nice. And that was, that's called uh, Wake Me Up When It's Over. Hmm. Um, yeah, just a cool slushy chubby. Like, <laughs> slushy I mean, it's, it's got well the, the bass it dirty. It's a dirty yeah. It, you know, the, well, yeah. there's a lot of um, uh, not reverb, but there's the, there's a grungy quality to the bass sound. Mm-hmm. Sorry, talking about how sound sounds is a very strange thing to do, but we yeah. want we really there's a, there's all there's fields of study that talk mm-hmm. about like how do we describe a sound? What's what's that sound like mm-hmm. when you when you tap on a table? How do you mm-hmm. what how do you what adjectives do you use to describe sound? And it's rarely a sound. Like, you don't describe frequency. You describe mm-hmm. it. Reminds me of this other tactile or, <laughs> you know, a, a taste or a, mm-hmm. a feeling. Anyway, that's a different thing altogether. But what about that track, Garrett? What do you, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you glean from, like, how is, is, that sounds probably like it fits more into the, the kind of music that we've been listening to. Mm-hmm. But um, have you heard that before? No, I actually uh, I hadn't checked out that album. I didn't know that they had uh, there was a Sanborn uh, Marcus Miller album. That's cool. It, it won. I think um, that one also won a Grammy. Oh, I, yeah? I pick, a lot of the stuff I picked was like, well, these things win Grammys. It's it's notable enough. It's probably more mm-hmm. indicative of the sound that they're known for. Mm-hmm. And maybe I mean also like this is a week's worth of research. Like I did, you know, I I have not read a biography. It's like mm-hmm. I was trying to piece this together. And like, oh, okay, this sounds mm-hmm. like it might be interesting. Um, but anything, anything to glean from that 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 no, or we should listen to it. Do you want to listen to it again? <laughs> well, I'm I'm more lost with this one because I I've never played bass, obviously, and or like talking about the the two people. Yeah, because it's the, the sax player and, who's uh, in a sax. It sounds very like almost like it's on a MIDI keyboard, mm-hmm. um, but it yeah. sounds like like it's been modulated. Yeah, they. I think uh, the Sanborn albums. You know, like that, not him working with other people, but the stuff that he created, it seemed like it really went with the time. So in the 80s, I remember listening to a few Sambor albums that, like, he programmed drums sometimes. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a drum set player, and it got really uh, um, kind of funky and really, like, kind of robotic like that. that that's yeah. what that was. Mm-hmm. And, like, I listened to one of his tracks uh, only, like, five years later, mm-hmm. and, man, it was everything that he wanted to denounce that he was like, mm-hmm. so let's let's go start, drive right dive right into sam so david sanborn uh was born in 1945 in tampa florida he grew up in missouri had polio when he was a kid he had polio for eight years when he was a child apparently uh, and picked up the saxophone a, uh, a physician recommended he start playing an instrument he chose saxophone uh to help build back the muscles in his chest because they were so weakened from having polio um, and he studied at Northwestern before transfer, transferring, transferring to the University of Iowa. Go Hawks. Yeah. Um, he started playing professionally when he was 14. And this guy has worked with, I think he has probably worked with the most out of all mm-hmm. four of these people. Like he bounced around mm-hmm. the most, it feels like. Um, all the way, like he worked with uh, David Bowie, Linda Ronstad, Ween, uh, the Eagles. Mm-hmm. He he. The most notably, oh, he, so he was a regular, an on and off guest for Paul Schaefer's band for the for Late Night with uh, Dave oh. Letterman. Um, while uh, while he was a solo artist, he's best known for smooth jazz sounds and a dull contemporary vibe. Though he expressed 
his disdain for the genre and his association with it. Um, but you've also he plays the baritone sax in the track "Born to Run" by Bruce Springsteen. Like he's really mm-hmm. all James Brown all over the place. Like mm-hmm. uh, so many people have worked with this guy. Uh, has a very iconic uh, alto sax sound. Like I mean, but clearly he can play baritone because he did in "Born to Run." So I, I the one that I was like, oh, he's the one who did the sax for this. I'll, I'll play uh, our last clip here, but this is. David Bowie, this is Young Americans. Yeah, pretty iconic sax part in a in a Bowie song, and I think in in rock that came out in '75. Yeah, different than the contemporary stuff later on that he does. Oh, a little, a little sharper and yeah. uh, stabs a little bit more from mm-hmm. like the the piano and the bass in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but that he has he, that he clearly he runs the gamut. He he's one of those. He's a, a bit of a chameleon because if you're just you know that good, then you're you're going to deliver what's best for the music i I imagine um but certainly a much different sound than what we had heard Mm -hmm. in that other track and what uh, the other stuff he plays like i he gets very i I don't want to talk about kenny g lot but like the the album like the later in the 80s he gets the more just elevator music it gets um and that's his solo stuff like this is the stuff that he i guess wants to play wants to produce um but so so what do you what all do you what what do you know about David Sanborn like what what's your impression because how did you so you got you you listened to to Jeff mm-hmm. and they got you to Michael they got you to Mark how how did, how did David Sanborn fit into this uh, collab well none of these are so directly related except for the the, the Jeff definitely got me into the, the Michael McDonald stuff but um, I think just gradually looking around i realized uh there was just a tremendous wealth of um just like smooth jazz instrumental stuff on spotify like i could just keep i i don't have enough time in my life to listen to all the shit that's on there um and uh so i think starting from i I don't know who it was but like you know linking from one musician to the other i saw that sam borman's a lot of stuff so i started checking out his his own albums um Mm -hmm. and then getting into the wider um in just all instrumental smooth jazz stuff uh, that he had available and uh, it was fun just uh, for, for a genre that I hadn't really checked out that much other than you know a few things where I knew the drumming was really good mm-hmm. like um, you know there's some there's some famous drummers that are a little bit more flashy than the stuff we've been talking about like Vinnie Colaiuta has done some jazz stuff and so I've, I've listened to some of that before who? Vinnie Colaiuta look him up but that's uh, that's not really in the same subject as our stuff because he's like he's a really good session musician, but uh-huh. he's like he's all over the kid. He's really okay. Uh, 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 any, any, it really it helps me, and if it helps me, I imagine it help helps the listener. Uh, <laughs> any examples of what he might be, who he might have worked with, of of note? What have you heard by him? Well, and this is a, a testament to uh, how good of a session musician he is. If you know anything about Sting, but he worked on uh, the Sting album Ten Sumner's Tales and a, a few other Sting albums, but uh, that was definitely my favorite. Okay. And uh, we I all know who Sting know is. Sting gets some of the best people for his uh, 
Yeah, why not? His, why not? Uh, I, I, I imagine stuff. so. Like a lot of the like, uh, two of these guys have worked with Clapton. Marcus Miller's worked with Clapton, and I think mm. a couple. Actually, I think a couple, three of them had maybe worked with Howard Clapton. Because again, when you're a solo performer, you want to surround yourself with the best session guys. Um, and it sounds like a lot of these guys were them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, talking back to the exploring all the uh, just smooth jazz stuff on Spotify. I realized that there was a lot of it that um, I hadn't really given a chance to because I think there's a lot of it where you can see that it's everyone's kind of taking their opportunity to solo and people who are good enough jazz musicians can always just make an album of music that's like just okay. Yeah. And then if you listen to enough of them, you notice that there's people who really plan uh, pieces. They really plan songs. It's a, compo- more it's of a, a composition. Yeah. yeah. Rather than and, like a jam session. And so I really started to love a lot of the stuff. I started to understand why I liked uh, a lot of it and understand why some of these people were really famous. And then I started to realize why maybe the genre kind of became a joke because you can start to recognize what really sticks out and then what kind of is in background stuff, the kind of thing that you would, you know, I think the joke about smooth jazz is it's like the stuff that's uh, at the counter, like the CDs that you get at like um, yeah, when Christmas you're like, time at Walmart or something, yes, like yes. there's smooth jazz that you can just yep. find. And there's so much of it that, you know, well, because it's, who's it's, to say what's good It's all like the the... The curse and the bless of jazz, or, or or actually just instrumental music, period, that isn't you know metal or mm-hmm. something you know or ambient, you know, it's not Brian Eno or something like that. Is that it's going to be non-offensive, and a lot of people can just kind of put it on. It's not going to mm-hmm. bug anybody. It's like we'll, we'll have this on while we do a puzzle. It'll mm-hmm. be wonderful, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll maybe we'll experience a little bit of culture. We're listening to this jazz while we do this puzzle with kittens uh-huh. on it or something like that. Um, because music with we have a problem with music with lyrics tends to distract us. We want to hear with like, what, what, what are they saying? Like I want you want to be more engaged with that mm-hmm. because it's, it's a, it, it's a language you, that you understand where, and whereas I'm sure for someone like you or any musician who knows what to listen for, it's probably as distracting listening to good jazz music and like, Oh my God, did you just hear that uh, modal, shift or what i like you know whatever um that diatonic mm-hmm. you know key i guess yeah that would be a key change mm-hmm. um the time signature went from 12 8 to 3 12 9 you know um that maybe a lay person wouldn't notice which is why it just gets played and even though, like i've heard some of this stuff and like that's that's cool music i can see how i could put it on the background mm-hmm. um and not appreciate it fully um but yeah, I'm sure that that's probably why it gets relegated to the the the, the what they call it um, impulse buy <laughs> rack on on your way out by the checkout. Well, the um, way smooth jazz is defined, I think, is that it's like coming out of traditional jazz that has a lot more extract. Even in the rhythm aspect of it, it's a lot more extract. Mm-hmm. Smooth jazz is the combination of like uh, I think like the jazz key signatures and jazz styles for like melody on top of more straight beats, more like uh, beats that would be like danceable sure. or beats that are a little bit more followable and coming out of like pop and funk. Yeah, and say, somewhere somewhere kind of in the middle between where, where pop meets jazz is is smooth. So it's immediately clear, I think, why it would be sort of the like the layman's jazz because it's yeah. the more palatable stuff. It's but accessible. it's like being a drummer and also just enjoying rhythm. I like a lot of, I like smooth jazz a lot because I think it's fun listening to things that seem danceable, but that mm-hmm. people are soloing too. And it's just about the, the instrumentals. So, um, oh, real quick, uh, we should listen to Young American, David Bowie. Uh, 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 
I already forgot his name, David Sanborn. He also composed uh, the scores for Lethal Weapons 2 through 4. He didn't do the first one, but you know how heavy the Lethal Weapon soundtracks are in saxophone? Like when I heard that, have you seen the Lethal Weapon films? No. Oh, well. I, like I saw two on TV. Well, I don't remember. Now when you watch them, you're like, oh, David Sanborn did, yeah, the, did awesome. the score for this. <laughs> um, and, uh, oh, and so on Toto's Fahrenheit, Jeff, Michael McDonald, and David Sanborn are all on that album on Fahrenheit by nice. Toto. Obviously, mm-hmm. Jeff would be because he was a member of the band, but Michael McDonald does some singing and some keyboards, mm-hmm. and David, uh, they, they're not on the same tracks. Mm-hmm. Like the, each, like David Sanborn has a different track than Michael McDonald, but they're all on. They all participate on the album Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. So check that out if you kind of want to get a feel for all, all for of three game. of them, except for Marcus Miller. Yeah. Um, so I guess we've kind of got into it, but I want to maybe maybe if there's a what the impetus or the 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 point was where like you heard that you should listen to this Jeff mm-hmm. Porcaro character, um, and was it? Um, did, was this, has this been going on for a long time, or is this more of a recent discovery for you? It's probably uh, over the past year. I think it was more of a so fairly recent discovery. Yeah, I think uh, I sort talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but it was like starting going back to me. What kind of prompted me to do it is that uh, whether I wanted to or not, I'm kind of in the like iPod generation where it's oh, like yeah. you can have any single songs that you really want to listen to, and especially with Spotify now, I can just I can make a playlist. I do what I want. Yep. But it's, it's not really about the art of putting together an album, but just more about listening to things that aren't just what you immediately think sound really cool mm-hmm. and are really catchy. And then coming at it from a drum standpoint, it was like um, I could always find something that was like, oh, my God, how did you do that? I want to keep listening to it over again. And that's fun, but it's actually not a very good habit when you want to like just sit back and enjoy music for what it is and then dig a little bit more into the substance of things. And so, you know, like with the rhythm stuff, I've talked a lot already about like Procaro with uh, maybe a different example with Sanborn. It's like there's things like tone that I can't really, you know, articulate how you do it. Sure, sure. But there's a skill that goes into it and just like learning to listen through an album and just appreciate the skill that's going into it uh, and trying to get a sense of that. It's like if you, I've been developing an ear growing up for just like what is catchy and what Mm -hmm. sounds really hard to play. Yeah. And like retuning my ear to just appreciate uh you know 40 minutes or an hour of stuff that's so you, like it's impressive like, when i think about it a little bit more uh, you're you're training your brain to think about it in a little different mm-hmm. way because i think we all kind of go through this we find that that thing whatever that might be like mine was probably film when i was in high oh, yeah. school and, and college like that i would yeah let's just let's take this thing and tear it apart mm-hmm. and then we're gonna find <laughs> out what it's made out of and then we're gonna tell everybody and we'll feel real smart about it you know mm-hmm. just sallow um, every weekend yeah every week <laughs> you know just 120 days of sodom um good times uh and and pull these things apart and like and because we I th- I, again i think it's about can we are we smart <laughs> are we articulate in we can pull this thing apart tell people why it's good or why it's bad and it makes us i don't know feel better about ourselves that we have value because we can we <laughs> understand something else's value mm-hmm. um and i think as i've gotten older i've in a similar fashion gotten better at like this is what it is it yeah. it has these elements that make it i think more in a more general sense of pleasure mm-hmm. and less pleasure mm-hmm. and less about the minutia mm-hmm. um and the the mechanics of it i mean i still mm-hmm. do that because I, I, I will always do that with with movies and tv like i will i'll talk about production value and i'll talk about 
character arcs mm-hmm. and like that that choice didn't seem to make sense like you know um in the same like we all kind of do but i'll you know i have a college education mm-hmm. for it and you studied music extensively in in college in high school um so it's gonna be something hard to shake but it's i think it's a healthy thing to yeah. allow yourself to uh look at a new listen to it with a new ear yeah definitely and i think uh I won't argue with you that it, it is part about like having self-worth and being able to say that you like uh, you can start to appreciate things. But it was also a, a, it felt like kind of a favor I was doing to myself because then when you reach a point that you appreciate those things, you should be able to find any album that you know is like you're supposed to have some good musicians on it, mm. and you can just turn it on instead of like the, I think my what really brought it on was that I was getting bored. I had Spotify. Spotify is like everything ever recorded, with the exception of you know a few things they can't get their hands on. Yeah. it's like why am I why am I clicking around and not appreciating things that I have? It's like I don't have anything immediately catchy that I want to listen to, and I wanted to reach a point where I would get in the mindset where I could just find something that I knew had good people, and I'd say, okay, what's cool about this? Sure, oh, oh, makes your life simpler in a little in a in a way. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to. And with, with like, even with these four guys, uh, the other session f- folks you mentioned notwithstanding, like, mm-hmm. you have hours and hours and hours and hours of content to listen to um, that you now have, so, like, almost a, not a guarantee, but a lot of certainty that it's going to be, at the very least, worth your time. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it's not Prokaro's best showing on this album, but... But he was maybe he was do maybe he was really coked up and he does does something really weird, and he like now I've heard that I can mm-hmm. I, and I appreciate it in his in his grand discography that exists mm-hmm. and him as a whole artist mm-hmm. um, and that, I mean that can certainly simplify things. Um, so I, well, I, I was going to ask next why are you listening to these artists? I think we've we've already touched on that. So between them all, um, like what. I, I think we could kind of hear it with some of the tracks, but is there a unifying sentiment, sound, tone, or like like that that you think maybe kind of unifies them all, or or is that too simplistic? Is that such a thing? Because I mean, it is ten like it's 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 not fair to say like oh yeah, from nineteen eighty one to nineteen ninety one, music was just this. <laughs> I mean, we we associate with hair metal and 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 Madonna and Michael Jackson, but like that those of course aren't the only things happening in the 1980s, mm-hmm. but we have an association with the 80s for having a sound. Do these guys exist purely within that, or do you think they exist outside of that? Do they transcend it? Or are they the ones who help make it what it is? Yeah, I think uh, it is a little too broad to say that there's like a unifying theme. I think the thing that would put them all, especially because we, we covered a pretty uh, long the period of time, time. yeah. I think that the. So I think they were we were looking at music pretty much from like 1975 to 1990. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll just give that like 15 sure. years of music, and that's pretty much when these guys were recording their most prominent music was mm-hmm. during that period of time. Yeah, I think uh, the only thing I could think of is that it's like you you learn your craft to the point that you're like you could be a metronome, and then what set them apart was that they were able to play with new people all the time and they'd figure out what everyone was trying to do you know maybe it's like uh an actor figuring out how to make a scene work like understanding your teammates he's and... speaking to me <laughs> <laughs> trying to bring ben in on this one with uh, my teammates on stage <laughs> <laughs> that's a week <laughs> go team with your uh okay your fellow musicians uh 
figuring out what other people are doing and probably with a limited amount of time making sure you can make it work yeah and like i mean yes yes uh that is what rehearsals all rehearsals are right you know you have a script or you have notes on a page and it's your guys's job to make those things sound and look as best as possible right um but again to an audience and so we have to think about you know we do some of these songs definitely have similar qualities um and but not to say like these songs are also the most indicative sound Mm -hmm. of that time period like they do sound like other songs we've heard like a lot of this stuff like i feel like um tonally reminds me of things that uh work on like uh, um uh, Let's Dance by David Bowie, which came out, I think, in like 82. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the David Bowie song kind of sounds like other David Bowie music because David Bowie's involved, um, even though he's a chameleon himself. Um, and, and again, I don't know. Like, maybe I'm not, maybe I don't have the, the right education to point my finger and say, like, oh, yeah, this is what they were all fucking doing. <laughs> and that's why they all kind of like have this, like, the, they, they were all, like, the disco was wearing out. But like, but people still wanted to dance, but they couldn't dance mm-hmm. to disco because disco is passe. So like, they all get, they all, they're still loving the R and B vibe, but they mm-hmm. they gotta make it white, except for Marcus Miller, who is actually a black man, <laughs> um, and commodify it. And how do they do that? Because I mean, I think all these guys are still about, to an extent, commodifying um, this music. Because like, they're they're session guys. They're like, even when they're doing solo stuff, like maybe they're expressing themselves in a different way. But when you're a session man, you still are doing this for someone else you're a mercenary in a way mm-hmm. um and you're going to you're going to add something great and you're going to put your collaborative spin on something but it's still like even though you know uh, uh sanborn played barry Sachs on born to run mm-hmm. it's a bruce springsteen song no one's gonna ever say like man david sanborn really on born to, like, yeah like <laughs> really save that song <laughs> like because it's it's you know if he is exceptional on like uh Bruce Springsteen won't let anybody else have that song. Most mm-hmm. of these the artists, these guys that have done music, like the the, the songs that they made better, uh, they're not going to give the credit. Like the reason that fellow probably killed himself is that no one cared that you know. Um, so like, but my point was like that they're that they're hired guns, and so they're still doing this in for somebody else's voice, mm-hmm. um, and if they're the the voice is something similar than I guess it just, they all happen to exist at the same time. They're contemporaries. So they're mm-hmm. all kind of feeding the same kind of music. Cause that's what people wanted to hear. Question mark. Yeah. Well, it's uh, <laughs> again, I think someone who like studies the trends in music would know better about that because all these guys, like you're saying, these guys are the people who just come in, get it done and mm-hmm. they, and they, they create the feel that someone else is going for. And so with these, I think you, we're taking like little slices of the evolution start, like, leading from like a lot of soul and funk music Mm -hmm. and then uh kind of uh combined with rock a little bit oh absolutely absolutely uh and then as that sort of phased out going into uh um the stuff that gets like you know more and more programmed drums and Mm -hmm. then you know only a few people are necessarily on instruments so but it's still going on right i mean i think uh a good example of basically something that you could have heard from here except with maybe a few kind of um thematic differences is that uh there's this is just one example you know rick rubin the guy the big beard who yeah. produced every mm-hmm. song in history yeah <laughs> yes yeah. uh man the work he did on sergeant peppers <laughs> he um 
produced a few tracks off of an Adele album, the 21 sure. album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the ones that he did were actually, he wanted to get a bunch of session musicians in LA to come do uh, a, f- a few tracks for that. And so there are some um, full ensemble um, tracks in uh, the 21 album. Cool. Uh, that was actually uh, one of my uh, one of my next questions was like, is this, is this a, a pastime? Mm-hmm. Like, are we, do we think this kind of thing is going to keep happening? Uh, or what are the influences of these guys? Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, do we, are we still hearing jeff's drumming style today um i mean i know we had like a i feel like we had a a saxophone revival there in the late 2000s you know um that was like a college music thing right yeah like i feel like bon ivers like second album like he really hit the saxophone kind of hard and like Mm -hmm. we're like whoa is (laughs) is like boss core saxophone back in vogue now like um but what do you like? Is it or is this? Did it exist then? Is it existing now? Do you hear this? Is it the drum? I, mean, I would stuff like, like that. I think it would be. There'd be a lot of interesting stuff to listen to because you know, I, I when I think of like popular music right now, I just think of hip hop. And if that actually yeah. became the kind of thing that was employing more session musicians, that'd be pretty interesting because it's kind of like a it's kind of a niche thing to have hip hop where someone is playing. Um, yeah, I mean the, that, the full yeah, that's that's. Uh, I mean, because that's well, hip hop comes out of turntables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the well, there is um. Uh, what, what? Gosh, I keep forgetting. Mm-hmm. Um, someone sampled that. <laughs> that's not, sorry. That's oh yeah, song. Warren G and uh, yeah, yeah. Nate Dog. We had uh, like I started playing that song last night, and Brooklyn's like, "Where do I know that?" And then she pulled like within like three seconds, she pulled up the hip the the rap track. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the track name. I'm, oh, I'm it, it look it up. Warren Warren <laughs> G. Um, uh, we listened to it last night. Regulate. Regulate. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, we could have just looked it up on the computer here, but he oh. got it. He got it, guys. No it's cheating. No cheating. Um, well, great, great. Any other, like, do you have any closing thoughts on, like, because I think what, mm-hmm. if, if nothing else, I think we're taking away that there there is a, a group of unsung mm-hmm. artists that really contributed to a sound mm-hmm. of a time. Yeah. Um, and whether or not you like it or not, because, like, the thing is, I you gave me all four of these names i had never heard well no i yeah, heard of I didn't McDonald's. Know these were actually going to be like the four chapters of the podcast either so uh, this is well this is like I, the best. I think it worked out pretty well though because i think uh they're all very different yeah and it, but yet uh collaborated a number of times or for similar mm-hmm. artists for the same artists at different times in that artist's career like mm-hmm. a couple of them worked for elton john you know like uh, they just worked with everybody um, and we don't know who they are mm-hmm. now, now. Now you guys have a little inkling as to who they are and what they've contributed. Like you've heard these guys, um, and I know that's I've, maybe guess because I'm I'm spoiled and and I've heard of session artists before mm-hmm. and know that that's a thing. Um, but don't forget, like you know, there's a lot of yeah. people that contribute to like to making singles and huge songs what they are. Um, I'm not saying you got like you know get on these people's like fan pages or whatnot, but um, they have a wealth of of art that most people don't know about yeah dig in well i think the thing that we focused on for this which is we should because it's more interesting is how they made it unique like who's who does something different just slightly different that makes them recognizable and then like the thing that uh you you start with that you should focus on in the beginning is that like the price of admission to becoming one of these people is that you have to play like perfectly yeah, and you so have to be, uh, you have to be one of the best there is at that at that instrument. So the sound you get out of the cymbal or the drum or like uh, the saxophone, um, and like that's one thing that I don't I don't know if I really focused on even when I was playing saxophone was that like tone, and, well, yeah, and I, with all the, like the string instruments too. Did you know you uh, could bass put like and guitar. When I discovered you could do like some vibrato or some like mm-hmm. warble in oh, yeah, in yeah. a wood in a wind instrument, like 
you can do that? Like, you know, and that, of course you can. That's what gives, like, a lot of artists their distinct tone. Like, if you look at, like, like Sidney Bechet playing clarinet and, and or uh, um, sax or um, what? what do you, yeah, you play clarinet. Um, he has just this warble to it that's uh, something else, man. Mm-hmm. Something else. Um, and that's, like, that's just what gets you in the wider you know, that, that that gets you in the door yeah having that and then it's like the extra skills that really make you distinct but if people are into that aspect of it like just the sound the mm-hmm. way everything sounds which would like if that makes you like an audiophile i don't really know what an audiophile is necessarily but i guess if there's just... a if you like that kind of thing there was this place called the sheffield labs in los angeles oh, that was okay. operating when all these guys were, were around um and they, I think their thing is that they record like analog stuff. So it's like they don't, the point is that they don't have a lot of post-processing. And so yeah. it's like they're catching the raw sound of all this stuff, which like there were some really cool grooves on some of these albums. So I listened to them for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one, uh, you know who James Newton Howard is? I know the name. He's a big soundtrack writer for all these like action movies and like mm-hmm. dramas in the 90s. Okay. Um, there is the Sheffield Labs album. Or he, after I think he was already maybe writing soundtracks, he got to do an album with, um, a few of the guys from Toto, so it's a it's a Porcaro record. Uh, okay, okay, okay. And uh, but the guys, if you like, you know, you find these on YouTube and listen to them. It's like the audiophiles who are just interested in hearing the sound of like the guys who play perfectly and then them putting it onto tape like perfectly. I mean, I don't know much about that. Well, but it's that's a skill a into itself. Level. Like it, you know, I when I record stuff, like I will do f- three or four takes of a of a of a voiceover audition and like, you know redo stuff because like ah oh, man, I didn't hit that. I didn't hit that word the way I wanted to hit that word. I guess I got to do it all over again. Or I'll just say that word four or five times and splice it into my, I'll edit it in. And But these guys, like, they make, made a career out of doing it perfectly once or mm-hmm. twice, you know, you know, for good measure. Um, so it's an impressive skill and it's an impressive yeah. Uh, career. Yeah. If you can get Definitely. into it. It's nice work if you can get it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't, uh, just to emphasize again. Uh, Porcaro was uh, touring with Sonny and Cher when he was like 17. 17. He was, play- he like, was in the, it's he not was... just developing those skills, but for him to start that young is so crazy. Well, and um, uh, uh, Sanborn started playing professionally when he was 14. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, when you, when, I didn't know his backstory, but it's like everyone who becomes famous for doing something amazing, their life story is always like more fucked up than mine, which makes me think. And I, get, I think <laughs> I'm never yeah. going to be that good. Yeah, right. Because, well, the <laughs> polio. Well, and also shit. like. Uh, Two of them grew up in musical households. Their mm. their parents or their uncles were musicians. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, my dad and my mom do this. I guess I'm doing this, or mm-hmm. my uncle did this, you know. Um, and I think, yeah, uh, Marcus. Like, so he got discovered. He was born in, I think, was he born in '49 and got discovered in '75. Mm-hmm. So he was pretty. No, he'd have been 25. Mm-hmm. No, no, I think he was younger than that. Um, no, he was born in '59. Mm. Got discovered in '75. Okay, that's <laughs> yeah, that's so something. He was quite a young boy mm. too. Um, so yeah, check these guys out and listen to more of this stuff. Um, is is there um, is there an album or by Toto or like any <laughs> any particular plugs you want to put for any one of these guys? Like, check this album out. It is the one that I think is a good entry point mm. if people are interested in this 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 era of session musicians. Um, yeah, I think uh, we covered a lot of my favorites on here. I, ha- I had a list that I sent you later on if we wanted yeah, more did. stuff to talk about. Oh, and, uh, do we do read it on air? Yeah, go for okay. it. And okay. then there's some. There's one other thing I can I can bring up. Yeah, let's just pull this up. Um, so yeah, just last night Garrett sent me like you should listen to these eight albums. I'm like I, <laughs> I didn't tell you to listen to all of them. I thought you would skip through them. <laughs> I, what you like the most? Uh, okay, so 
In case you want some more specific examples, the first seven <laughs> Luther Vandross albums, Miss M by Maria Takuchi, Takuchi? Mm-hmm. Um, Freedom at Midnight by David Benoit, Tin Drum by Japan, one of my favorite of all time, says Garrett. Uh, Hydra by Toto. Double Vision by Bob James and David Sanborn. I did see Double Vision on that list. Dolly, Dolly, Dolly by Dolly Parton. The first Michael McDonald album, which would have been the one that we played a clip from earlier. Um, And the first few Genesis albums. Uh, And then Perfect Harmony by Charisma. Charisma, perhaps yeah. charisma. Charisma. Yeah, that and that's the one with uh, at least a few of those have Vinnie Colaiuta on the drums. So for some more wild, kind of extravagant drum stuff, check out that one. But uh, for maybe a way into this uh, that I know is kind of getting popular right now, at least in some smaller communities on the internet, there's this uh, Japanese um, sort of genre called city pop that has mm-hmm. a lot of overlap with this sort of thing because it was this sort of, I think maybe coming out of like R&B and disco, uh-huh. it was uh, kind of its own distinct thing. Um, I've heard like instrumental um, styles. There's something about um, plastic love or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's Maria Sakuchi. Yeah, oh, okay. So that's, oh, that's her. Okay. That isn't on Miss M, but... Uh, uh, Brooklyn plays that song a lot. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's good. It's catchy. Is, yeah. is it called Plastic Love? Plastic Love. Yeah, yeah. I know it's plastic love. It's plastic love. Um, uh, we're green. <laughs> um, so it's yeah, like okay. Uh, okay, so it's, vocal it, pop styling with a lot of background stuff that's just really tight bass and drums, mm-hmm. like dance music that's, you can't tell the difference phrase to phrase. They're really yep. tight players. Percaro on Miss M. There's a, there's Is he actually on here. that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, damn, okay, okay. Yeah, she got big enough, I think because Plastic Love was internationally. Yeah, big yeah. Enough. She went and played with um, uh, David Hungate, who played bass for Toto. He, she played, and, and some American producers worked with her a little bit. Well, that's gonna so Brooklyn's so. gonna be so excited to know that because she likes that song a lot. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, thanks so much for tuning in this week. Uh, I'll be back next week with something else. So thank you, Garrett. Yeah, um, thank you. For been a real me. pleasure. You know, yeah, no, it's been no, fun. Like, yeah. Um, check us out. Check me uh, uh, www.benschlofelt. That's S C H L O T F E L T. Dot Squarespace. Dot com. I'm not plugging Squarespace, but they make a fine website. Uh, see y'all next week. <laughs> You can still talk during this if you want, but this is the end. (laughs) There was a little Spanish bee, a record star, he thought he'd be. He heard of singers like Beatles, the chipmunks he's seen on TV. Why not a little Spanish bee? Oh, I I wouldn't put him on the microphone. (laughs) You can put it like right here if you want, on the arm. No, I bet the feedback would it like. Oh, I don't know. Try it. Do it. Nope, I don't hear anything. Nope. Must not be loud enough. <laughs>